to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Amen. The sermon text for today we find in Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53, where our Savior said, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and father and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So far of God's holy word. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has reconciled all things to himself through the blood of his cross, dear fellow redeemed. If you were traveling on Interstate 90, heading west through the state of Montana, you'd be in for a long trip. I'm well familiar with it from trips between ILC and my home at the time in Seattle. Takes many, many hours to drive through Montana, <clears throat> but when you're finally reaching the western part of the state and you begin to climb into the Rocky Mountains and you're still some miles away from the city of Butte, Montana, you'll find yourself rising up to 6,300 feet of elevation when you reach Homestake Pass. There's an overpass that goes over the interstate and the sign says Homestake Pass Elevation 6,333 feet, Continental Divide. Now, it's a pretty bare place way up there in the hills. But if you were to stop and get out and find the exact correct spot, and if, just for the sake of the thought of experiment, you stood in this precise spot with a garden hose and began to let it run out toward the east, well, what would eventually happen to some of that water? It would go into the Homestake Creek, where it would later join up with the Jefferson River, and hundreds of miles away would join up with the Big Muddy, the Missouri. And then at St. Louis, it would join up with the mighty Mississippi and travel down south, 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 until it meets the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. Meanwhile, back at Homestake Pass, there, you with your garden hose facing east, if you do an about-face on just the right spot and start running that hose in a westerly direction, what's going to happen to some of that water? Well, it's going to find its way into Blacktail Creek. And Blacktail Creek is going to go meandering through Montana and Idaho and Washington State until it finally meets a confluence with the Columbia River at its mouth and it will drain into the Pacific Ocean. You see, Homestake Pass is one of those places that's on a ridge of north-south land known as the Continental Divide. It's the point at which a watershed 
on the eastern side will head toward the Atlantic Ocean. A watershed on the western side will head toward the Pacific. And this is a ribbon of ridge that runs, well, really, including both Americas, from the furthest north point of Alaska all the way down to the tip of South America. And it's either east or west. It's a binary choice. It's one thing or the other. Kind of like a different either or. Much like the division that happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. One way or the other, with no other choices, as it is with the cross of our Lord Jesus, the true Son of God and the only Savior. How you view this cross marks a great divide between all people, either trusting in what happened on that cross truly or rejecting it. That's why the theme for today's sermon is the continental divide, the continental divide of the cross. It separates people from each other, but it also separates the repentant sinner from, completely from his or her sin. As I began to read today, did it catch your attention that it seemed out of place for Jesus to say he did not come to bring peace? That he said he's coming to bring division and conflict instead? It can strike a person as being rather strange when we know that the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, said the coming Savior would be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and so Jesus was. And at his birth, the angels sang over the fields of Bethlehem to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And the Savior himself, speaking to his disciples, said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And it's true, it's all true. And yet, we have the same Savior saying here in verse 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. What? Not peace, but division? To understand this, we need to remember there are two different contexts in which you can talk about conflict and peace. One of them is vertical. It's between us and God. But the relationships Jesus are talking about here in Luke chapter 12 have to do with other people in this world which remains desperately wicked and sinful. And there's certainly going to be conflict there. And much of that conflict is going to be because you put your faith and trust in Christ and his word. You see, we're talking about an either or divide between those who know and trust the true message of Jesus' cross and those who reject it. And by the way, <clears throat> it's not possible to straddle the issue. You can't have one foot on the eastern side and one foot on the western side and expect that the water is going to tra simply travel north or south. It doesn't work that way. It's either east or west. It's either heaven-bound or bound for destruction. And it has to do with this dividing line at Jesus' cross. 
because either Jesus was and is Son of God, made human flesh, who died a real death but rose again by his own power and that of the Father and the Holy Spirit, or he's just another religious figure whom some consider to have been a good man, whom others consider to have been the start, the leader of a terrible scourge on this world because that's how many people look at Christians these days. Either he's God or he's not. And the same is true, a dividing line when it comes to Jesus' cross. Either the cross is simply a symbol, one among many religious symbols that you can wear on a necklace or on an earring perhaps. There are dozens of them, dozens throughout our sanctuary. Either it's just another symbol and you might as well have the Star of David among people who practice the Jewish faith today or perhaps the crescent moon and star of Islam, one religious symbol among many, or the cross is what you cling to as a desperate sinner, knowing that what happened there is your only hope of forgiveness in life and salvation. The cross confronts each sinner and there is no middle ground there's a great divide. Either it's to the left of Jesus' cross, which flows toward an ocean of despair and destruction, or to the right of Jesus' cross, carried by God's grace to an ocean of glory. And look, when I talk about this either-or thing that has to do with all people, I'd like you to know that I'm naturally kind of wary of categorizing people because you try to pigeonhole people into various categories, a lot of times it's quite artificial. We notice differences among each other about who's old and who is young, who's a man and who's a woman, what race you may have, which nationality you, you declare, which customs you follow. And we can oversimplify things and paint people with too broad of a brush, and it's all quite artificial. But the cross, the cross is different. It's the great divider of all people. Because on one side you have the rebels, people who don't want there to be a God and don't want any authority in their lives. Or perhaps on the same side of the cross, you'd have the self-righteous, those who feel that I've done many more good things in my life than evil things, certainly I'll be okay or perhaps on the same side of the cross, those who are simply indifferent, so taken with being self-absorbed in the things of this world that they just don't have any time for all that religious chatter. That's on one side. What's on the other side of Jesus' cross? The quote-unquote good people? The people who show by their lives that they're worthy to attain heaven someday? Oh no. On the other side of Jesus' cross, you have people like us, those who are spiritually poor, wretched, blind, knowing they don't have a prayer on the basis of their own life and behavior with God, but who see in Jesus and his cross redemption and forgiveness and life eternal as God's free gift. 
We're confronted with Jesus' cross and when the Holy Spirit leads us to unburden our sins there in repentance, we come away free, free and pure and holy, at peace with God, in conflict with the wicked world that still remains. It's either one way or the other. As Paul writes in the passage quoted on your bulletin cover, which, by the way, will show you where the continental divide runs in the United States, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's one side. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the power of forgiveness and life by his grace. And when Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, he's talking about the evidence of that great divide that we find in our lives today. And a lot of that trouble has to do from the other side of the divide. Jesus' disciples experienced it. After the day of Pentecost, they went forward boldly with great energy to proclaim the crucified and risen Christ. And did they meet conflict? They paid for it. They paid for it by imprisonment and beating and by giving up their lives in the service of their Savior. And down through the centuries, there has been this hostility, this division between those who know and trust in Christ and those who reject him that's resulted in untold numbers of martyrs and sufferers for the Christian faith. That still goes on today. Thankfully, not in our community to the point of bloodshed, but in many countries where people who boldly proclaim their faith in the meaning of Jesus' cross suffer intensely for it, even giving their lives. And in fact, this great divide can even split up families, as Jesus describes beginning in verse 52. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three, Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This divide has split up families when some of them stand with Christ and his cross and his true word, and others in the same household reject him. It has happened and it can still happen, even though they say blood is thicker than water. You have all kinds of acquaintances, but you've only got one family. Jesus says, my blood is thicker still. He must take first place, because with him and his cross all is well. Without him and his cross all is lost. Ties to Jesus must come first, even compared to family ties. That's because we know the uncountable value of what we find on his right-hand side. Because of the other great divide, Jesus said in verse 49, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. And from the rest of Luke chapter 12, we know he's talking about the fire of judgment day, when all people will be divided, either to his left-hand side or his right-hand side, 
when after pronouncing his judgment on the wicked and inviting the righteous to join him in heaven, the entire earth will be melted down in a fervent heat. That's the fire that's going to be kindled. He wished it had already come because he was anticipating a terrible baptism. Not baptism with water he had had from John the Baptist three years prior. Jesus was speaking poetically and sorrowfully with dread about the overwhelming curse of sin and guilt which he was about to bear on Calvary's cross. He was about to be inundated. Inundated is treated by his father as the only sinner of all time with your guilt up there with him. From Luke chapter 12, we know that the fire is judgment day. The baptism is Jesus' suffering and death. And so he says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. And that is why this baptism of his suffering and death is such a watershed moment. The watersheds either to one side or to the other. It's a watershed moment when Jesus actually did give up his spirit, suffer and die for a different kind of separation, to separate you, to separate you personally from any shameful act you've ever done, from any shameful thought that's ever crossed your mind, for any shameful words that have ever crossed your lips, he paid the full, complete price in order to separate your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And so, as a wretched sinner, you can come to his cross with all your failures and faults and there receive God's blessed judgment of justified, freed, pure and holy, as holy as Jesus is, in the sight of our Father. It changes you from sinner to pure saint, heading downstream from the event of Jesus' cross until you meet an ocean of God's unending joy and bliss in life eternal. And with that sure promise, we have enduring peace. Peace this way, peace with God that cheers each day even when we continue to have conflict with the wicked world that opposes Christ and opposes Christians. It's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, just before he died, Jesus warned his disciples they'd have many troubles, many conflicts, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Trouble because of me in the here and now. But he followed that by saying, take heart. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And when he comes on that fateful day of judgment to visibly, in glory, separate believer from unbeliever, those bound for heaven from those bound for hell, you can know you can know that you will be at his right-hand side because he's brought to your heart and mind the complete freedom from sin that he gives at his cross. 
Yes, that continental divide of the cross. It's the reason why we'll soon sing, let thoughtless thousands choose the road that leads the soul away from God. This happiness, O Lord, be mine, to live and die, entirely thine. In Jesus' name, amen.